Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, is that really true? Is that all we need? Love? Don't we need a few more things? Can you think of some? Coffee? Anyone? Cat videos? How about, how about coffee? Well, when John Lennon wrote All You Need Is Love, he wrote it as the flower power anthem of a war-torn era. When he was asked if this song was propaganda, Lennon responded, I am a revolutionary artist. My art is dedicated to change. Through this song, the Beatles held up love as the single greatest change agent in history, maybe the only solution to the world's problems and the incessant violence tearing us apart. All you need is love. All you need is love. We hear it now as such a light, kind of fuzzy song, you know, love, love, love. You know, so makes us feel good. You'll play it at weddings kind of thing. But one writer argued that in 1967, this song was the Beatles' most political song yet. Maybe that doesn't strike us as very political. But in a world that's addicted to the myth of redemptive violence, where it's believed that only through violent force can evil be destroyed and good accomplished, pointing to love as the only way forward is actually very political. How dare they? How dare we? How dare God? Because that's the song that we discover when we hear the good news story of Jesus Christ, of his coming. Open the Bible and you pick up the tune immediately. When God looked out on the world and the mess that we had made, it's like he started humming it to us right at that point. With his song crescendoing in the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That through Jesus, we see both God's true identity as love, love incarnate, love in the flesh, and his purpose for us, which also is love. Love, love, love. It's week two of our Generation Jesus series where we're exploring characteristics which mark followers of Jesus, particularly out of these last two chapters of the letter of 1 John. You likely remember that the letter of 1 John was written by one of the closest followers of Jesus, John. He's now an elderly man, and he's writing to a congregation that he's had a significant role in their spiritual formation. It's a little letter that's tucked away right at the end of the Bible. What we discovered last week is that Generation Jesus is spiritually discerning 
rooted in the fact that all truth is in Christ Jesus, we then are able to discern what is true and false in the world. Today, we're going to look again at Generation Jesus and explore how we are fiercely loving, flowing from a God who at his very essence is love, flowing through us to the world. If you've ever wondered about who God is, I mean, really, like, who is God? What's what's he like? What are the characteristics that make up God? Then today's actually a real treat, because here in 1 John 4, we receive one of the most definitive definitions, one of the most definitive identity statements about God in all of the Bible. Listen for it. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. When I I was asking Mike and Lindsay to consider uh, singing the Beatles song for us today, um, Mike Mike thought maybe I'd ask him instead to sing the old camp song that they grew up singing, and probably a few of you did, based on just these verses. You know, beloved, let us love one another. You know that song? You're probably breaking out in it right now. Your kids will thank you later. God is love. I want you to notice this. This is important. It doesn't say God is loving or God feels love toward us. Or God does loving things for us. Now, listen, all those things are true, but I want you to see and get this straight. The statement is that God is love. Grammatically, this is a state of being (laughs) as opposed to an action at this point. It's stating something about the essence, the identity, that love is the very character of God. It defines his essence, his very Who-ness. You could say the exact intrinsic nature of God's godness is love. Love can't be peeled away from God like you'd peel uh, away a banana peel to reveal the real fruit inside. Love isn't uh, a set of clothes that God wears or a, a, a pair of tools that he uses. If you take away love, God is gone. Without love, you don't have the true God anymore. Not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and certainly not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is love. It's who he is. This is critical because you're not going to find this in many other philosophies and religions of the world or in history, to define God as love. For God to state this and to reveal this about himself is absolutely essential and critical and at the very core what we know and believe about God. And this God who is love, you understand, is not this solitary being who was just so filled with love but terribly lonely and didn't have anyone to show his love to. And so one day he thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing with myself up here? I need to do something to share this love with someone because I'm so lonely. And so I know I'll create people who are like me so I can show them my love. I need somebody to love. That, thankfully, is not what God did. I was just telling someone this week 
you don't want a God who needs you to love him. You don't need or want a God who says, okay, I created you because I needed someone to love me. I needed someone to respond correctly to me. You've been created for that, and so you better do it. We don't want a God like that because, friends, we're going to fail that kind of God, and that is scary. Rather, we have a God who loves and wanted us, not needed us. Why? This is important, and it comes down to some core things that we believe about God that has been revealed through Scripture. You see, God is love. But he wasn't so lonely that he created us in this desperate bid for friendship. No, God is love because at the very core of God's essence is a community of eternal love shared between the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in shared communion, shared love, the three persons of the one God for eternity. Love has existed for eternity because the Father has loved the Son. The Son has loved the Father. The Father has loved the Spirit. The Spirit has loved the Son. And it goes around and around. God is love. At His very essence, this mutual reciprocity and self-giving love has stood at the core of who God is, the core of all history, the core of all time. God is love. And who He is is revealed in everything He does everything. We've been exploring this all along. Our identity flows out into our actions. You know, we can say whatever we want to about ourselves and about our identity, but as we know, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the actions. What we do reveals the truth about who we actually are. And the same is true of God. John has been calling us all the way through this letter to love one another as the people of God, reinforcing this basic truth that the children of God will then love others like their father loved them, like their father loves others. The children of the God who is love will love. And here he expresses the same thing. Love one another because we are children of the God who is love. But how has that been revealed to us? How do we know that God is love, that his very character is love? Because it sounds nice, right? And in our culture today, um, it'd be quite common, I think, to express that kind of sentiment, that kind of warm, fuzzy notion that God must be a nice guy because we're nice, aren't we? So this idea that God is love can be stated, even believed, but it's not grounded in anything real, tangible, concrete, How can we say that God is love? Because God's identity as love has been revealed concretely in the blood and the soil of history in how he initiates his loving rescue of his world through Jesus Christ, his son. How is God's love revealed? Through the sending of Jesus. Listen to this, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then, verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the proof that God is love. God's identity as love 
is born out in history in the coming of Jesus Christ into the world to rescue us. Without Jesus, without his coming, without his being born and living as one of us, without his teaching and his ministry, without all the ways that he revealed the Father and ultimately going to death for us, rising again for us, without all of that, without Jesus saying that God is love would actually be a meaningless sentiment with nothing to back it up. And what's more, true love, the very core of it, isn't located in us, but in God. That's that next thing that he says where he says, you know, God's love is of first order. Both because it's who God is and God has existed for eternity, this community of shared love, but also because God initiates our rescue long before we knew we needed it. And then actually continuing after we refused his grace. God is love and pursues his creation with love. God looked at us. His lost and dying world. At you and me and our frailty. And our faulty thinking and our faulty way of living and loving. And he acted for us. He moved himself for us. He responded to our need. He initiated action on our behalf and for our good. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from their very essence as this eternal community of love, took it upon themselves to do whatever it would take to reverse the effects of sin and welcome us back into fellowship with him. That's why Jesus came. Through Jesus, death was conquered. Through Jesus, evil will fall. Through Jesus, creation will be renewed through recreation. Through Jesus, humanity will be restored through resurrection. Through Jesus, life comes. Through Jesus, forgiveness flows. Through Jesus, love wins. And that, my friends, is at the very heart and soul of the story that we tell of the story that we live. God is love. And through Jesus, God's love has now come in the flesh, come into our world. It's made all the difference. Well, I want to be really practical here because I think that it's at the heart of everything is, of course, the fact that God is love. But I think that challenges us to recognize how can God's love, how can not just God's love, but the fact that God is love become real in us? And there's three practical things I'd like to offer. One is that this God who is love, revealed through Jesus, needs to be the focal point of our devotion. What I mean by that is this. We need to regularly contemplate regularly consider, hold in front of our minds and hearts who God is as the God of love who's revealed himself through Jesus. That in our times, maybe in quiet moments in the morning or in the evening, we need to pause and remember who God is, to consider him, to praise him, to simply hold in our hearts and minds the fact of who God is and what he has done. That's in many ways the meaning of devotion. That we intentionally bring ourselves before the truth of who God is. That God is love. But what's more, it also shapes our prayers for each other. That as we think of one another, 
We think of family members or friends. We think of members of the Erickson Covenant Church. We think of neighbors on our street that we begin to pray very specifically that the God who is love will encounter, and transform, connect, and heal, meet these very people that we are concerned about or these maybe situations that we have been praying for. The prayer that Paul offers us in Ephesians has always shaped, or many years has shaped my prayers, and I offer it again to you from Ephesians 3. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We can pray this prayer for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, for members of this community or people that you're especially concerned about, to pray that they will come to understand this incredible, fierce, overwhelming, powerful, reckless love of God, but in particular to encounter the God who is love. So not only does that shape our devotion, but it shapes our prayer Brothers. And then the third is actually coming back to something that I've been encouraging you to do for quite a few months now, which is to seek spiritual friendships. I haven't mentioned this for a little while. I want to bring it up again. To find one person that you are walking with intentionally, and I know some of you already are, but to make this conversation, the conversation you have with a spiritual friend, about this God who is love to be talking about how is understanding that God is love shaping and reshaping my heart, my responses to others, the way that I'm thinking, the way that I'm reading Scripture, the way that I'm reading the news. How is this God of love shaping my walk with Jesus? To make that a particular point of conversation in your spiritual friendships. God is love. And His identity has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Now John drives it home. It's a connection he's been making all the way through his letter. He, it's like you know, there's absolutely nothing new here. I, I think of it as if John was playing the drum kit, this would be like his kick drum. That is all the time. It's playing. In the background, all the time. Here it is, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love one another. This is the kick drum that John is always beating. Love each other. Love each other. Love each other. God is love. He's loved you. Love each other. God is love. He's loved you. Love each other. It's all over the place in First John. It's all over the place in the Gospel of John. This is his driving way of understanding who God is and how we are to live. God's actions toward us then redefine and shape our actions toward others. Well, I have another interview for us today where we're going to explore just that. I sat down with Colleen Boot this week, and the opening question for her was, how has your understanding that God has loved grown over the years? I was able to, if I was able to describe in one word how love has grown through me throughout the years, it would be steadfast. Experiencing his love has been my lifeline through bad times and he has over and over proved it to me by never letting me go. I have felt his peace, his forgiveness, in times when I stubbornly made wrong choices. 
his joy when he's answered my prayers, and his love still amazes me at times when I least accept it. And I love surprises. So when God you know, surprises me with, with a heartfelt burst of his love, that's really exciting for me. And his joy, yeah, his joy is, is always there, even in bad times. Just have to look at what he's done and, and how he's carried me. And, and um, yeah, it, he is amazing. He is my father, and my earthly father. He, um, yeah, he had a lot of problems. He was an alcoholic. And so I really clung on to God as my father, and I am God's child. And I couldn't imagine going a day without him. And, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's an amazing relationship. It's a walk that's always growing, it's always changing, but always constant. The steadfastness, I love that word, that yeah. sense of steadfast faithfulness. And after, I mean, um, you know, after the years of experiencing God's love in our life, to be able to look back and see that is, is beautiful. Um, yeah. One of the things that John is always on about is how God's love then um, is lived out toward others. And there's a couple of questions I'd love to hear you reflect on. One of them is, how do you love difficult people or how have you learned to love difficult people because it's easy to love people that are like us that we enjoy being with you know we've chosen friends or whatever but um as we all know it's a lot harder to love someone that we have a reaction to and i just wondered in your own life how have you learned to love difficult people well the first thing i do is pray that god give me empathy and love for them and he turned my negative feelings into positive ones. Mm. And he has to forgive any nasty thoughts that are floating around in my mind because they are there. And um, I find it's really helpful if I just sit back and take a moment and try to understand what makes that annoying person and difficult person hard to love. Mm -hmm. Because once I get to know where they're coming from, uh, their behavior might make sense and it might make it easier for me to understand them and easier for me to be empathetic and um and easier for me in knowing how to pray for them yeah. and pray for myself yeah and pray that lord change my attitudes and um yeah i have found that um i just have to look constantly remind myself don't look at them through my eyes calling but look at them through god's eyes yeah because God loves that person just as much as me, or even more than me, hmm. right? And, um, and, and yeah, for myself, I feel like God always wants me to take the high road. Yeah. Just take the high road, show kindness, and pray that God take that relationship and turn it into something worthy of him. And it's much easier to make that choice. Like love is a choice. It's much easier to make that choice than to live with regret. Mm -hmm. And I've had enough regrets, you know, things I wish, oh, why did I say that? Yeah. Why did I, you know, think that? And and throughout my life, I just think, oh, I just, you know, take a moment, bite my tongue, and give it up to God and pray that he just let his love flow. Right. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. I, I think 
starting with prayer and working towards empathy and trying to see the person's situation, see them through God's eyes, I think those are critical. Thank you for that, because I think a lot of us can think of people in our lives, maybe right now, <laughs> maybe because of the way the last year has been, uh, maybe it's the people we live with um, suddenly are getting more difficult to love. But, you know, maybe it's someone we've been interacting with on social media, or maybe it's someone that um, is in our community that we're at odds with. And so those steps of prayer and empathy and trying to see them with God's eyes and then make a choice to love them are, um, are critical. So thank you for that. Um, that's good. Good word. I hope everyone's taking notes. Um, you know, uh, Colleen, a few weeks ago, um, we talked or I talked a little bit in the Lament series about um, about racial injustice. And, and afterwards, you emailed me and shared a bit of your own family history. And uh, a lot of people won't know this about you. I didn't know this about you, but you actually have um, Chinese heritage. And in your, in your email to me, you shared experiences of your, your grandmother, your great-grandmother as, as Chinese immigrants um, mm -hmm. and their experience of, of racial prejudice and how that uh, carried through the generations. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I thought it would be appropriate to ask you how um, your understanding of God's love has shaped your own uh, response to uh, people of different ethnicities, to racial prejudice, racial injustice. Um, I, I, I was I was captured by the pictures you sent to me, and I think, and mm -hmm. so can I think the picture is the one where there's a number of people on it. Can you just mention who's in this picture, Colleen? That would have been my great great grandmother. Okay. Great grandmother and my granny. Okay. And I think the fourth one would be a um. Yeah, some other little, it was a little girl. I think it was my grandmother's sister's daughter, Patsy. Oh. <laughs> and it's a wonderful heritage. I love that. But you shared out of that just your mm -hmm. own responses and experiences and the experiences of your forebears around racial prejudice in your response. And as you, as you emailed to me, and it was wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with me. But I just wondered, how has an understanding of God's love shaped your response to racial prejudice? I think an understanding of his love has just given me a deep yearning for justice. Mm -hmm. Justice for racial prejudices, justice for in inequalities. Um, God created us in his image and there's nowhere in the Bible that states that one skin color is better than another. And there's just so much to be learned from um, um, learning about people's different backgrounds and cultures. And they can enrich our lives so much by getting to know them and we can learn so much through them. And um, you know what happened in my um, family history when they immigrated to the valley, they were shown, the children were shown, especially the children. Um, yeah, they were made fun of you know, racial slurs, and my grandmother, I think they were made to feel shameful. And when you say, can I just say, Colleen, when you say the valley, you actually mean the Creston Valley. The Creston Valley. Yeah, which, I mean, we, we may think of Peter and Colleen as new to the valley, but you've got history here. So when you say your grandma emigrated from China to the valley, mm -hmm. you mean the Creston yeah. Valley. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, yes, my, my great grandfather was a surveyor and um, he was yeah working in China and met a wife there and brought her here. Yeah. And their experiences were they experienced some of the family in China, babies in China, and then they brought their children, had the rest of the family here in the valley. Yeah, yeah. But um it's it's kind of um neat history, but um you know, back to the prejudices and inequality, not only just like having that family history, but Peter and I lived in the Northwest Territories for seven years. Just um, in Norman Wells, mm-hmm. and and many of our friends there were native mm-hmm. to that area, and they were beautiful people, and we made some lifelong friendships with them, and um, you know many of those people from our generation were were taken from their homes as children and sent to schools, Catholic schools in Inuvik, mm-hmm. and um, one guy in particular, he he went to a boarding school and was taught by the nuns, and his name was Louis, Louis Edgy. And Peter went hunting with him for caribou, and Louis taught, you know, Peter how to carve the meat, and, and you know, I, I learned recipes on, like, how to make good caribou stew, and, and we developed friendships with these people. And they were special, and I love them. And we didn't look at their race or their skin color. They were just people. And, um, yeah, and in the north, there's not that many people there <laughs> other than your work employees, you know, co-workers. You make friends in the community. Yeah. And another example, you know, moving into the valley, we had Mexicans living in our orchard our first summer. Yeah. And I love them. They were, they became, at the end of the summer, they were like my family. I was concerned about them, you know, if there was a rainstorm, I'd invite them to come sleep in our basement. Like, I don't want you out in the tents where the wind is howling and blowing and, you know. And, um, yeah, we, we, towards the end, they cooked us, came in, I had them here and I went and bought groceries and they cooked us a beautiful Mexican dinner. And then before they went home, I cooked them a Canadian dinner. Oh, that's great. And we're still to this day friends with a couple of them on Facebook and we visited, um, before COVID hit, we went to Mexico. We actually visited with two of them. And um, yeah, I just think we're just missing out on so many of the blessings that God wants us to have. If we close doors to building relationships yeah. with, um, you know, people of minority, just people are people. God loves them as much as you and me and perhaps even more. Uh-huh. So um, yeah, I just encourage people, don't let um, oh, I fear might be the wrong word, but maybe yeah, the, the differentness or the maybe the, uncomfortable sometimes. Hold to, you back. Uh, Step out of your comfort zone because you could be richly blessed by making friendships. Yeah, you yeah. will be richly blessed. Absolutely. Thank uh, you sure. That's beautiful. Well, I, I I picked up in our emails just the way that your own sort of family experience has then shaped your own response to others, particularly people that are who look different, and to recognize that, um, as as we we've talked about before, that it's it's about recognizing that each different ethnicity, each different background, has a gift to bring to the community. Sure. And yeah. and there's a there's you talked about that. You know everything from. Peter learning how to hunt caribou and you learning how to cook caribou or, you know, just the friendships that come, um, the, the, the diversity in the human family is a gift from God. And, mm-hmm. um, 
in the church to be able to experience that is, is beautiful. And um, yeah, linking that to the image of God, as you well know, is something that I think we need to keep coming back to how the love of God um, for us as his human images then means that we share that out. And a critical way we do that is actually by crossing those boundaries, those lines, and loving mm -hmm. those who are actually quite different from us, recognizing mm -hmm. them as a gift from God, even right here in our in our valley. Well, yeah. thank you, Colleen. Any just any final word you want to say, a word of encouragement to us as a church as we consider the love of God and maybe particular as we share that out with others? Oh, <laughs> just just go forward. Go forward, people in love. Reach out to others and, you know, and with, um, especially with the tourism season coming and new people coming into the valley. And, and I noticed with COVID, a lot of new people are moving here. Housing sales have basically non-existent right now. I mean, people are moving in. And <laughs> so, yeah, go forward, make those friendships and, and, you know, and open your heart to whatever, you know, blessings God has in store for you. Ah, that's a great challenge. That's awesome. I love it. Love. Yeah. Next week, we're going to talk about fearlessness. And there's a sense in which we need to love fearlessly, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, the perfect love of God casts out fear, but we're able to love fearlessly as his people. So that's a good challenge. Well, thank you, Colleen, for sharing with us today. I'm excited that we're able to hear all of this together as a church. So thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye, everyone. In so many ways today, this message just comes down to the simple truth that God is love. And because he's living in us, we love others. I invite you to continue reading this week through 1 John to see how he continues to come at this again and again. This basic message of what God has done in Christ and the basic challenge that we then live this out with others. And friends, I don't know what that means for you. I don't know the ways that God is challenging you on your street, in your home, in your school, in your workplace. I don't know what kind of relationships are most challenging to you right now, or maybe some of them that you've wanted to walk away from. I don't know. But you do. God does. And our final invitation is that we, whether we're seeking and trying to understand who God is and we're new to this whole faith thing or whether we've been following Jesus for a long time, we are being called to come back to God, to recognize who he truly is and what he's done for us and let his action, his identity as the one who now lives inside of us reshape the way that we live and love. It's a powerful challenge. Let me pray for us as we continue to go forward into what God has. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take this simple yet challenging word that you who are love, living in us, that you would call us into friendships, connections, places of service and conversation where we are able to love with the love you have given to us. Lord Jesus, to know that you are love is so powerful and life-changing. Our heart and our prayer is that we as your people would also have that identity too. We confess that there are times when people look at the church and they don't think of us as love. Lord Jesus, forgive us 
for the ways we have failed to reveal your love. And fill us with your strength and power. Fill us with your love so that we can truly do that in tangible, concrete ways so that the world can see you through us. We ask that you would lead us and guide us now as the Erickson Covenant Church, for all of us who have connected here online, lead us and guide us now to love the way you've loved us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.